Good morning. If you would, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. Now, leading up to Easter, what we've been doing is looking at the different miracles of Jesus Christ and how they prove His deity, but we also have been looking at how they relate to us and how they show how he interacts with us. Now we have looked at his casting out demons. We've looked at his cleansing of the leper, um, his healing the sick, feeding the multitudes, walking on water, giving sight to the blind. Now each of these miracles proved Jesus' deity And they also show how he could meet our needs in different ways. And today we're going to look at the first miracle that Jesus performed. And it's the first miracle recorded in the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at four ways that this miracle shows how Jesus relates to us. So look at John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It's written, And the third day was there a marriage in Cana, a town of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus was called also and his disciples unto the marriage. Now when the wine failed, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Then he said unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, so they bear it. Now when the governor of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, for he knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and said unto him, All men at the beginning set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept back the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana, a town of Galilee, and showed forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious and loving Father, Lord, as we come before you, just thank you for this day, and I just ask your blessings upon the reading of your word. And Lord, I also just pray that you would be with those that may be traveling today, those that are sick and shut in, those that could not make it today. We just lift each one up to you, Lord, and just ask your blessings upon each one. And Lord, I pray that you would just be with us today as we worship. Just speak through me and give me the words to say and hide me behind the cross. And Lord, I also just pray that you would just touch those that are here today. And if there's anyone that needs to make any decision, that you would speak to their hearts. And Lord, I just pray that you would bind down Satan and let him have no part of this service. We just ask this in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now... Here we have what is considered Jesus' first miracle that he performed. 
Jesus and the disciples had been invited to a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. And we also see that Jesus' mother was also attending this wedding. Now, what usually would happen, the feast was the responsibility of the groom. He was the one that would have to provide the food. He was the one that would provide the wine. He was the one that would tell where people would meet for this feast. And during the wedding feast, the wedding, this party that they were having, they ran out of wine. Now, generally, this would not look good for the groom to run out of something. So when Mary finds out about them running out of wine, she goes and she tells Jesus that they had run out of wine. Now I want you to look at verse 4. In verse 4, Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now many people think that Jesus was being rude to Mary here. But this is not the case. And we see this because he uses the expression woman. And he uses this expression in John 4.21 when he's talking to another woman. And then we also see him refer to Mary this way in John 19.26 when he's on the cross. He says, woman, behold thy son. And then we see him use this term again in Matthew 15, 28, and also in Luke twenty two fifty seven, He uses this term. So he was not being rude here when he uses this term for her. Now, what is unusual is that he uses this term for his mother. He calls her woman instead of calling her mother. And... In effect, what I believe he is doing here is he's showing a sense of distance between them. She will have no part in his saving work or in his ministry. So he is distancing himself from his family in doing this. He's not being mean about it. He's just distancing himself. Because remember when people came to him and said, behold, your mother and your brothers are here. And he said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? This is my mother and these are my brothers. Talking about all the people around him. So he's distancing himself from her and from his family. And we also see this in what he says next to her. And look at what he says next. He says, what have I to do with thee? Basically, he is saying, what concern is this of mine? When she says, behold, they have no wine, he's pretty much saying, that's not my concern. The fact they have no wine is not my concern here. And we see this by what he says next. He says, my hour has not yet come. He's like, it's not time for me to reveal myself. This is no concern of mine. But what he's also saying here is, is he's telling her that his ministry 
and the miracles that he was going to perform and his teachings that he would do was not up to her or any other human. His miracles and his teaching ministry and what he was going to do in regards to salvation was between he and the Father alone. So that's what he's saying here and what he's doing. He's not being rude. He's just pretty much telling her it is not her place to direct him anymore. He is no longer her, in a sense, her son. He is now to be her savior. But what we see is, is he also does perform the miracle for her. After he tells her this, notice that she no longer she no longer speaks to him. She then speaks to the servants. So she knows he's going to do something. She just doesn't know what he's going to do. So she tells the servants to you know, listen to everything that Jesus has to say. So she tells the servants to listen to Jesus, and then what does Jesus do? He, he tells the servants to fill the, the water pots full of water, and we see that there are six water pots here. And he says, fill them full of water. And it says that there are 20 to 30 firkins apiece. Basically, they are, are 20 or 30 gallons a piece worth of water would go into these things. Or two or three firkins was 20 or 30 gallons. And what we see is these pots were made of stone. They wasn't pottery. They were not clay. They were made of stone. And what the Jews would use these for is they would use them to wash their hands. They were for ritualistic washing of their hands right before they would eat. Remember how the Pharisees got on to Jesus because the disciples were eating with unwashed hands. They were like, well, they're eating with one unwashed hands. The Jews, before they were to eat, were to ritualistic wash themselves. And that's what these pots were for. So after they fill these pots full of water... Then Jesus tells the servants to draw some of the water out and take it to the governor of the feast. Basically the head butler of the feast. And when they take the water to this man, the miracle had happened. The water had been turned into wine. And notice what the governor says about this wine. He he gives the wine praise. He says normally the people would, would serve the good wine right at first and then once people were, were good and, and happy and were, were drunk, then they would bring the bad wine out. And generally what the bad wine was, just to give you some context, what they would do is they would take what, they would make sure they had measured out enough good wine to serve at the beginning, and then they would take some of the good wine and boil it down. And once they had boiled down all of the, the liquid out of it, they would have this mush down at the bottom of this boiling pot, and then they would divide that up into different pots and then add water to it. And so it was pretty 
bad tasting stuff that they would be drinking, but by this time, people wouldn't care. But what the governor of the feast says, he says, you know, normally people will serve the good wine at the beginning and then the bad stuff last. You've waited to serve the good stuff last. But notice he's not talking to Jesus here. He's talking to the bridegroom of this particular wedding feast. So he's directing this at the wrong person. Now, this passage gives us four views of how Jesus relates to us. And I want to go over that real quick. How he interacts with us. Now, first is in his capacity as bridegroom. Notice the governor is talking to the wrong bridegroom here. He's talking to the the one that was at this particular wedding, but not the one that had performed the miracle. You see, the bridegroom was the one, again, that was supposed to supply the food and the wine and make sure nothing ran out. But the bridegroom for this particular wedding feast failed in that. He failed in his job. And in failing in this, he failed not only his duty to his family, he failed in his duty to his friends and his duty to his bride and her family. So he failed all the way around. They ran out of wine. And then, once they find out that they're out of wine, he does nothing to act on it, to rectify the situation. Because, why? We're inadequate to save ourselves. What happens is, is the true bridegroom, Jesus Christ, steps in. And the true bridegroom served a superior wine and met the needs of all the people at this wedding party. Now, what we see here is a foreshadowing of the marriage supper that will take place in heaven where the bridegroom will meet the needs of the bride at this feast that we will have in heaven. What we also see here is the bridegroom has come, the true bridegroom. He is now on the scene. He has come and he is providing, even though he has yet to establish his bride, the church, he is providing for the needs of the people. And he is doing this by ushering in his grace. He's showing his grace. Because had these people done anything to merit the favor that he gave them? No. He was the invited guest. His needs were supposed to be met by the bridegroom at this feast. Instead, what we see is the role reverses And Jesus Christ, the true bridegroom, 
shows his grace to the people that are there in meeting their needs. That's one way Jesus relates to us. He meets our needs by showing us his grace. Second, this is in terms of marriage. What do we see here? Jesus blesses this wedding with his presence. He blesses this wedding with his presence. He was invited to this wedding, and when he was invited to it, he went. But who was it that established marriage? It was God. And each marriage between a man and a woman, Jesus should be a part of that because that is God's instituted way. And Jesus was part of this ceremony and he was invited to it and that tells us that we should invite Jesus to, whenever we are married, we should invite Jesus to that wedding. He should be a part of it. And he should also be a part of the lives of the husband and wife after the marriage. Because it's through Christ that the marriage is sanctified and blessed by his presence. But then we also see a third way that this shows how Jesus interacts with us. And this is about salvation. What are we? If we look in the book of Romans, what does Paul say that we're like in Romans 8 and 9? We're like earthen vessels. We're like the potter's clay that he forms into the pot. So we're the same as these water pots. Now I want you to think of the water that went into these pots. Was it the nice, cool, clear water that we think about coming out of our faucet? No. At best, this water would have come out of a whale, out of the ground, drawn up with a bucket, and it would have been hazy, sort of dirty water. At worst, they would have went to the Sea of Galilee and drawed the water there and brought it back. So it would have been a lake water. Plus, these pots were used for people to wash their hands. Were these pots even clean? No. We're the same as these pots. We're just an earthen vessel filled with dirty water called sin. And what has to happen? We have to have Jesus to intercede on our behalf. We have to have his blood covering us. We have to have him make the change within us and change that dirty water that's in us into something that's good. 
something that's useful to him and his kingdom. And that's what we see. It took Jesus to change what was in the pot to change the water into wine. It takes Jesus to change what's in us to get rid of the sin and make us into a sanctified vessel for his glory. Just as Jesus changed the water into wine, he changes us. And he changes what's on the inside. In a sense, he makes it drinkable. And then fourth, we can look at this in terms of what goes in and comes out. What goes in and comes out? Think of this in terms of the word of God. What goes into us when we're reading the word of God is like the water that the servants were filling up into these pots. The water goes into the pot and then what comes out? Something that was good. Something that was useful to the bridegroom. The word does the same to us. It should go into us and then change what's on the inside and what comes out of us should reflect the change that Christ has made. And that's in terms of how we act and also how we speak. How we act and how we speak. But we also see something else here. We also see in the last verse, it says, The beginning of the miracles did Jesus in Cana, a town of Galilee, and showed forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. What we also see here is that the miracle increased the faith of the disciples. They believed on him. But the miracle also showed his glory. And that's what we see with all the miracles that we have looked at so far in terms of Jesus Christ. They showed his glory. They showed his deity. And they showed the many ways that he interacts with us and what he does for us. And what happens to us when we receive him as Lord and Savior. Just as he changed the water into wine, he can change us from the hazy water in this water pot that's filled with sin into a pot filled with his spirit, the good wine. And he does this when we receive him as Lord and Savior. Let's stand for prayer. Our most gracious and loving Father, Lord, as we come before you, just thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for your word, and I just pray that you would be with us as we go into this time of invitation. 
And again, Lord, if there's anyone here that needs to make any decision, I pray that you would speak to their hearts. Just continue to be with us and overshadow us with your love and watch care. We just ask this in your Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're here today and you need to make any decision, come as we sing.